Jesus, we just uh, thank you for the wonderful word that you give us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are more concerned about truth and not cleverness. Lord, you're more concerned about truth than any human being right, and any human right in any book on any topic. And so, Jesus, we, we right now just surrender this topic to you. Lord, I just surrender every word that proceeds from my mouth to be from your word, from your spirit. God, we don't want to hear from me. We just pray that everything that, Lord, we would encounter tonight, Lord, would just be inspired truth. Lord, would you just reveal all truth to us? We thank you that that's your promise to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're checking us out, um, we are in our second night of a series on the prophetic and prophecy. And um, so someone was like, can ask me, like, so what's the whole point of this series? And, and there's three points to this uh, series why we're doing this. The very first is to have a biblical answer for the existence for prophecy and prophets. The second was to have an understanding about what a false prophet is, prophecies that don't come true. And the third is to find out where we fit in all of that and what the role is for us today. So last week was our first week and we talked about the viewpoint of and the doctrine, quote unquote, of cessationists, which basically means that they do not believe that the gifts continued after the death of the 12 apostles or the canonization of the scriptures. That when we got the bound written word that all works of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, tongues, all the other good stuff, all that ceased, cessationalists. And so we looked at that and how, like, I kind of think that that's um, not as airtight in the scriptures, and particularly because uh, of Acts 2.17, which says that, and it shall be in the last days that God says, I'll pour forth my spirit on all mankind. Up until this point, prophets were unique, really bizarre weirdos up until this point. It says, I'll pour my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And which is amazing is that in this period of time, women were not permitted to speak. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And so we have examined what I believe is the case for the prophetic today, I believe that it survives on because if, if you believe that scripture to be the, the, that's an Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled in the New Testament, which thousands and thousands of years, right, I've been talking about the coming Holy Spirit and it's about 100 years before we had the first Bible. So the maximum period of time the Holy Spirit was doing his work was 100 years and was foretold for thousands. It doesn't seem that efficient to me. So, but we look at this and we can deduce a whole lot of other things from the scriptures. And so the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the, what, the arrival of the Holy Spirit was prophecy in the prophetic, meaning that you and I would now have a direct relationship with the king, that we all would participate in the voice of God, what God is thinking, doing, and working. So tonight is step two in our journey, which is addressing false prophets and what happens when there are prophecies that aren't exactly correct. And before we go into the details of the scripture, we must step back and do one thing, and that's to examine the strategy of the enemy in this topic. We're familiar that the devil's identity is the father of what? Father of lies. But sometimes we easily forget that lies are created from truth. In order for a lie to exist, it actually has to be the inverse of truth. 
Sometimes we can say, oh yeah, I believe that's a lie, but we don't ever actually identify what the truth is. That's one of the powerful things about Christ's life. Is it just, it, it goes to, what is the lie? It doesn't just stop there. It says, well, what is the truth? Because on the flip side of every lie, there's truth. There's no such thing as a lie if there wasn't a truth alternative. And so the lies that the enemy wants to have about the voice of God and the availability of the voice of God for you, it must have an opposing truth. It's not sufficient just to acknowledge a lie. You actually have to identify with the truth. When someone says, oh, I'm worthless. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just a sinner to say it by grace. I'm terrible. You're like, well, do you believe that's a lie? Yeah, I believe it's a lie. Anything else? No, that's it. I just believe it's a lie. Well, how about you believe the truth that you're actually a chosen, righteous child of God who belongs to the king that's here to kick some booty? How about that truth? It's much different to identify with that than just simply, yeah, the, you know, the enemy has got a lot of lies. And so what I want to do is I want to um, expose a couple lies regarding the prophetic. And why? Is because as long as you're afraid of the prophetic, you'll never participate in it. The only way to empower a liar is to believe his lies. A liar is only powerful as long as people are still believing the garbage that he's spreading. I believe that the single greatest way that Christians can assist the devil in his mission is to believe his lies first and second, do nothing about him. If you want to actually assist in the enemy and his work, you just like, all right, I'm, you know, whatever, I don't care. You know, you can accept the lies and, and progress the work of the enemy and also you can identify the lies and do nothing about it. Because a lie unchallenged becomes truth. So, Acts 2.17, the Holy Spirit comes. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's got free Wi-Fi, right? And basically in the Spirit. Before, it's like only a couple guys got internet, and now everybody's got wireless connection to Jesus. Now, if you're the enemy who's trying to keep people away from God, do you see how that could be problematic? Do you see how that now all of a sudden everybody has access to the very thing you're trying to prohibit anybody from accessing? And so your primary goal if you're the enemy is to keep people separated, isolated from the voice of God. The Holy Spirit was the worst thing that's ever happened to the enemy because now billions of people get to hear and connect with God directly. Does that make sense? So we know the topic of the prophetic, the topic that God speaks to you, communicates to you, shares his heart with you, is a very big deal to him. And so there's a couple of lies, so let's just jump in. 1 Corinthians 13, 31 says this, we covered this last week. For you can all, everyone say all, you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and may be exhorted. Who can prophesy? All. This is an exact match to Acts 2, which says, my spirit will pour out on all mankind. There is an inclusiveness of every person to be able to prophesy. But let's look at Ephesians 4. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 11, it says, and he, is referencing Jesus, and Christ, he gave some as apostles, and some, everyone say some, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. 1 Corinthians 13 says, all can prophesy. Ephesians 4 says, some are prophets. Anybody confused? Anybody confused? Yes. Here's the lie. 
the first lie the enemy wants you to believe is that you have to be a prophet in order to prophesy. The scripture says all can prophesy, but to some he gave prophets. We have built this inaccurate link between prophets and prophecy. The truth is there is a difference between prophesying and being a prophet. The Bible recognizes two distinctions when it comes to prophecy and prophets. Prophecy is something I do. A prophet is something you are. Does that make sense? One is a tool. The other is a ministry identity, a role. It's a position. In scripture words, one is a gift, the other is an office. To prophesy is a gift, to be a prophet is an office. Think of it this way. Leadership, strength, passion, ability to command people, that's like a gifting, right? The presidency is an office. It's a place of authority in which you rule from. So everyone can prophesy, but not everyone who prophesies is a prophet. Paul prophesied all the time. And who did he identify himself as? An apostle. But he prophesied all the time. So to prophesy simply means you are hearing what God thinks and is saying about his people this time, his church, and you're communicating it. First and foremost, it's being communicated to you, and secondly, you're probably sharing it with other people. That is what prophecy is, is that you are connected to the voice of God. You don't need to be a prophet to be connected to Jesus. Jesus says, my sheep will hear my voice. Not my sheep can hear my voice, or possibly will, or really, really beg to hear my voice. My sheep will hear my voice. So just because you can prophesy a lot, maybe you're like, ah, you know, I can prophesy all day long, I can prophesy you under the table, you know, and you're like, I'm all about it. Just because you have a great gift in prophecy, and just because you have a whole lot of people that will listen to you, that does not make you a prophet in the church either. What's the difference between someone who prophesies and a prophet? You become a prophet when your prophetic gifting comes under authority. You become a prophet when your prophetic gifting to prophesy comes under authority. Remember the office of a prophet, Ephesians 4, we just read it? There's a concept of the fivefold ministry, which there are five offices, ministry roles that Jesus gave. Apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. Five. So the office of a prophet is in mutual submission to the apostle, to the teacher, to the evangelist. And it says that this is the, the gift that Jesus gave to the church for the building up a church. This is the single greatest scripture reference, which we'll get into another time, where Jesus says, how I build the church to make it perfect for my return is going to come through these five roles. And he references the office of a prophet, because all the rest of the scripture says all people can prophesy. Why? Is that your gift in prophecy is not what makes you a prophet. It's that other people in authority have authorized you as a leader in your gifting. The fivefold in the prophet is to build up each people. It's more like you're the phone man if you're the prophet in like an organized body. You're like hooking up people's phones, right? You're like, hey, Jesus says all can prophesy. You can hear the voice of God. I don't hear the voice of God. Well, let's fix that. Let's pray. And they are specifically gifted to help equip you hear from God directly. Because God abolished middlemen at the cross, right? Old Testament, you had to go to one guy who heard from God. That guy must have been really busy. 
And so Jesus said, and I'm kind of over that. I'm tired of hearing that one guy. I want to hear from everybody. And so what a prophet does, the office of a prophet, is in a body, in a church, in a community, in a region, whatever. His job is to be in authority with a teacher, with an apostle, with an evangelist, with all these people in authority, and he's able to hook up people's phones, hook up people's giftings. And they also have words, they have direction, they have vision for maybe bodies as well. But it's a leadership role. Everyone say leadership. To be a prophet is to be a leader. It's to be integral into the building up of the body together. Next week, I'll probably talk about the significance of these lone wolf prophets out in the wilderness and the crazy importance of a prophet being integrated in a body in mutual authority and submission. The goal that Jesus had in establishing prophets, specific people that would help connect other people's phones, if I can hang on that analogy, is that they would lead many. Here's the problem. Anytime you're leading many people, there's a temptation to make yourself the object of the audience you're leading. Anytime you're leading any sum of people, there's a temptation to make yourself what people are drawn to. That's why it's important that they're an authority. When you're an authority, you got those checks and balances, right? You have the, I mean, I, I hate politics, but let me, forgive me to say, like, hopefully in our country we have checks and balances between different uh, bodies of governance, right? That they're supposed to keep each other in check, and the same is designed for the church. But don't, if, if you are connected with somebody who's like, I'm prophetic, I'm kind of a prophet, one question you probably should ask is, who are you in authority to? Who are you in authority to? Because I'll tell you what, I am not going to listen to someone who's gifted who cannot be in authority to anybody else. Why? It's because my gifting is a teacher. Like, I feel like very like, yes, teaching, I feel good about that. I'm growing in my prophetic gift, which I'm pumped about. But more specifically, my role in that office is teacher. And I could hear someone who prophesies, and I'm like, mm, that's actually not exactly correct, and here's why. That's an actually a healthy role. And likewise, I actually hear this entire series with somebody who is like, I feel like the Lord wants to take this body and to bring light to the mysterious world of the prophetic. I'm like, cool. And then I get all this revelation about it. It's amazing how it works together. But prophets are made powerful because their role is held in tension, is held in place by all these other corresponding roles of accountability. It's really important for that, and I'll tell you in a minute why. But if someone can't be an authority to other people that are going to be willing to keep them in check, to keep their theology in check, to keep like their character, to keep their, their temptation to draw people to themselves. I mean, that's how cults get started, right? If you don't have people that are keeping you in check, then we have every reason to believe that they might be suspicious in their word. Because God says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Your promotion, your elevation is directly related to your submission. So don't let the fear, if you're like, I'd love to prophesy, but don't let the fear of like, well, I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't want to prophesy because I don't be a prophet. You know, don't link those two, okay? Is that clear in the scriptures? Just because there's prophecy does not make you a prophet. You hearing the voice of God for yourself and for others is the hallmark of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you want to call it. You don't have to call it prophesying. 
You can call it whatever. Just here, call it conversations with Jesus. It doesn't matter. And if you have your prophetic gifting and you want it to be elevated to a leadership role in a church to start activating people like you feel called that that's something you should do, you better get comfortable with being under authority. Is that kosher? Is that good? All right, lie number two is this, the lie of the false prophet. So the two criticisms of the prophetic are false prophecies and false prophets. Spooky stuff. It's like the boogeyman, you know? Jesus talks about the end times and says this in Matthew 24, verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and mislead many. Everyone say mislead. There's a huge segment of the church that reads this passage and a couple others that are similar. And basically what they hear is that in the last days, all prophets will be false. When they read that in the last days, many false prophets will arise and mislead many, they think in the last days, all prophets will be false. If Jesus wanted to say that, he just would have said that. And so there's a huge segment that's different that if anyone false prophesies, they believe then they're a false prophet. The safest thing for most Christians to do who are afraid of false prophets is to just reject all prophecy. If you are fearful of false prophets, the easiest way that you can never be tricked by a false prophet is just to abandon the whole idea of prophecy altogether. The Pharisees did this, right? The Pharisees were terrified of the work of the devil. And so they looked at everything that Jesus did and they're like, it's the work of the devil. I don't think that worked out too well for them. Just my thinking on there. But it's easy to miss the truth in Jesus' warning there, right? He says, in the last days, many false prophets will arise. How many know you can't have a counterfeit $100 bill without a real $100 bill? If I started to counterfeit $7 bills, would anybody believe him? Mm-mm. So when we read Jesus' warning, we actually can take a little bit of kernel of truth that there has to be something as a real prophet in order to be a false prophet. There actually has to be something called false prophecy. Um, there has to be something called real prophecy in order for there to be false prophecy. And one of the greatest outpourings we see, the first mention, the hallmark of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. People who are so paranoid of false prophets and false prophecy, you know what you should ask them? You should ask them, wow, wow, totally get it. Tell me the last true prophetic word you heard or the last prophet you met? Any? Any? Hello? One? No? Not? None? Okay. So how do you have a false prophet? How do you know it's a false prophet, a false prophecy without any knowledge and experience of the true? So here's the fear that most people have of the prophetic is what if I prophesy and I get it wrong? I think many people are like, okay, prophecies for all, but <clears throat> that's pretty intense to say I'm hearing from God. I might just pass on that because I don't want to be wrong. And just because you prophesy inaccurately does not make you a false prophet. You can have a prophecy not be accurate and still be okay. It does not make you a false prophet because, remember point number one, you do not have to be a prophet to prophesy. So what does it mean <clears throat> When you're a Christian and you have the wrong word from God, about God, for God, to somebody else, what does that make you? Human. That makes you human. When our little girl, Scarlett, was learning to walk, it's like, all right, Scarlett, it's time to walk. First thing she did is fell on her face. <laughs> As we are beginning to learn the voice of God, there is, 
experience that takes you to learn. And so it is expected that we are connecting with God, that we're going to have some fuzzy connections. Our antennas are going to be brand new and getting to work. But people are so terrified of it. But you can have the wrong word but still have the right intention as long as your destination was Jesus. As long as your destination is Jesus and you're like, I think the Lord is saying this. And you can say things like, I could be wrong. I do these qualifying statements all the time. One time I'm praying with this guy and I get, I, I get pictures and we'll talk about uh, that next week. I get a picture of him on a toilet. I'm like, I kind of need to go to the bathroom, but I, is that what I'm supposed to say? And so I'm like, oh man, like, I don't know about this, but <clears throat> I, I, I have a picture and you're on the toilet. And he just like broke down crying. I'm like, was it that bad? <laughs> like, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> like, I forgive me. I heard wrong. And, and he's like, no. He's like, I, was, I literally broke down in tears on the toilet because I didn't know if God was real, if his voice was legit in my life anymore. I'm like, I'm okay with toilets. That's all right. <laughs> But as long as your destination is the heart of God, is Jesus, if you botch it coming out of your mouth, and if you're totally wrong, but your aim is Jesus all the way, you're going to survive and you're going to be okay. Because prophecy is about slingshotting people closer to the heart of God. And as long as your aim is towards the heart of God, if you get the details wrong, that does not make you a false prophet. It just makes you wrong. It makes you human. It makes you learning. Now, what would be wrong is if you're like, well, thus says the Lord, and, like, and you just never clean it up. The most gifted people in prophetic are ones who've actually come back and said, yeah, this one was wrong. And they're not afraid of prophecies being wrong. If you take one thing away tonight about the prophetic, it's this, is that, that there can be correct prophecy and there can be wrong prophecy, but you being able to know the difference and not throwing the baby out with the bathwater is so important because then you won't be so afraid of it. You might actually begin to hear it and receive it and to begin to believe it. Six years ago, a guy who uh, wrote me an email, he's like, hey, man, I think the Lord is just, you know, saying this. And this is like we are stressing about kids. I was starting a business. And like life was terrible. Life was really, really bad. And it was this amazing word about how God is going to give you children at the right time and he's going to give you a new business. And he's going to take you to the top and he, all these different things. I found this word like two weeks ago. And it's like, everything is true. I was like, I didn't have the faith at the time that he sent that. I got, I was like, this guy's in here from Jesus. It's like six years later. But I saved it for whatever reason. I was like, maybe, you know, once in a million, you know, maybe. <laughs> and you might be saying, oh, hearing wrong from Jesus? Where is that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. And let me tip my hat to Chris Vallotton. I don't, um, it's important that we draw from multiple sources as we read and listen and um, learn. I, I love authors like John Piper and Tim Keller and all these other people, I like Chris Vallotton and others. And if you only have one teacher you listen to and they're always right about everything, you are setting yourself up for some screwy things in your theology. It's important to be able to spit out the seeds. I've mentioned this before. I'm not going to get everything right. I expect you not to get everything right, so we're going to have grace for each other. But here's some things that Chris Valentin pointed out that I never caught. It's amazing. And you can look this up. This is Acts chapter 21 in the Bible. It's a named prophet called Agabus, and he gave an inaccurate word. 
he said, and it was, he was called a prophet, the prophet Agabus. And he said um, to Paul, he says, Paul, the Jews are coming, the Jews are coming, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. You know what happened? The Gentiles came and they handed him over to the Jews. It was close, but not exactly right. And the, pro- and the Bible still calls him a prophet, not a false prophet. I mean, it was close, but it wasn't exactly right. Paul was on a ship, prophesied to the captain, there's going to be a crash and we're all going to die and there's not going to be a single life or a life spared. There's going to be no life surviving. An angel came that night and says, yes, there's going to be a crash, but there'll be no loss of life. Now, that might not seem a really big deal unless you're on the boat. Because that's a very important detail. But none of those people were called false prophets because they had the wrong word. Your prophecies don't determine if you're a false prophet. The Bible gives us clear indication of what is from the Spirit of God and what is not. And that's where we get into the territory that we need to discuss. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Everyone say spirits. Plural, right? There's not just one. Huh? All right. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Look, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In the flesh. It's really important you see that. Why did John mention? A lot of people will acknowledge Jesus. But when you acknowledge Jesus Christ who came from the flesh, even go Jesus Christ who came from the flesh from Nazareth, that speaks to the deity that Jesus is, God came in the flesh as a man, is back to the Father. It is, it is the hallmark of our faith, is Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. So it's every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. This is written thousands of years ago. Notice what it didn't say. Let me, let me tell you what this passage did not say. This is how you know it is the spirit of God, that all the prophecies will come true. Notice that? When John is talking about, this is how you know it's the Spirit of God, he didn't say all their prophetic words will be flawless and true. No, he says that whether they believe and call and point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, that is the Spirit of God. They may or may not have the right word. I don't know. But that is how you know it is the Spirit of God. So the person who prophesies wrong, I believe in full accountability. If you've ever heard of Havilah, Cunnington, she comes here sometimes, and she'll do this, like, really rad prophetic ministry. Sean always gets, like, a word every time, and um, he says he wears red every time he comes, and um, that's his trick. So next time she comes, I'm going to, like, wear a big arrow pointing, like, down or, like, a bullseye or or something, because I've never gotten one. But you know what she does? She's like, are are we recording? Are are we recording? She, She, like, verifies that we're recording because she's like, I'm accountable to my words. She's so focused and so committed to having an accurate word and having a word that if it's not accurate that she is accountable to, that she makes sure it's recorded and we go and distribute CDs and discs for it. 
But if someone prophesies wrong, I believe in the same accountability of like, hey, um, this was totally off. Um, by the way, do you believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh and is from Nazareth? You know, like, you can do a little reconnaissance there and make sure they're like on the same religion wavelength as you. Um, that might be a good idea. But most likely, their heart is aiming for Jesus and they just messed it up. So it's not as much as the words you say, but where your words are aimed for. Why is this important? This is important for this one really, really, really good reason that all you guys should not miss tonight is this, is that a false prophet likely has correct prophetic words. A false prophet is not defined by how wrong they are, but actually how right they are in the prophetic. The issue is that it's not pointing, it's not taking you to Jesus. The source is not originating from Jesus. Where is that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked again. Acts chapter 16. Look at this. It happened that as they, this is Paul, were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Spirit of divination, an evil spirit, basically. Who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. You're like, what's wrong with that? Evil spirit saying, these are the men of Jesus Christ proclaiming you the truth of salvation. She continued to do this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment, but when, she, but when her masters saw their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before authorities. So, spirit of, of divination, an evil spirit, Right? She is prophesying that these men are bondservants of the Most High and that they're teaching how to be saved. That's true. Right? An evil spirit is inspiring a true word. What can we learn from that? Is that that a false prophet, a false spirit doesn't necessarily lie. But the devil will tell you the truth as long as it destroys you. The devil will tell you the truth as long as it destroys you. So a false prophet isn't someone who gives a bad word. This woman gave a good word but had an evil spirit. And the difference there is that the wrong spirit, the spirit that originates a false prophecy or maybe even a correct prophecy, but it's all about where it's aimed for. If it's not aimed for Jesus, it's not meant for Jesus. The warning of Jesus was not that some people would give inaccurate prophecies, is that false prophets would essentially be false leaders and would rise up, and do you remember what it says? I hate to say it, and would mislead people. The warning of Jesus was not whether someone called themselves a prophet, was not whether they had correct or incorrect prophetic words, is that they would rise up and mislead many. A prophet is a leader or an influencer. So false prophet is a false leader or a false influencer. What do they do? They lead people away from Christ. Usually, remember how I talked about a prophet being in subjection to authority? When you're hearing from Jesus and you're telling like awesome things and having amazing words, it's easy to draw people to yourselves. I tell you the truth that I believe the hallmark of false prophets is people who rise up and draw people to themselves, not to other gods. 
They're going to use signs, wonders. They'll be able to tell fortunes. That's how we have psychics that can exist and have real stuff. But it's drawing people to themselves. It's the wrong destination. So the right word, but the wrong destination does not make it from Jesus. Let me end with this. Is that here's the plan of the devil with all of this. Is that he wants to put false prophets in the world to discredit the real ones. The reason we're confused, the reason we're terrified, the reason we're fearful is because the devil is putting false prophets in the world to discredit the real ones. And since God is moving in true prophecy, the enemy wants to move in false prophecy. Not necessarily inaccurate prophecy, but prophecy that's in the wrong direction. And if Satan can contaminate you with fear of false prophecy, he'll make you reject real prophecy. The final lie is that the role of the Old Testament prophet and the role of Old Testament prophecy is the same as the New Testament. When we understand the significance of what Jesus did, because he's saying, I came to fulfill the prophets, right? I did not come to abolish the law of prophets, I came to fulfill them. And then we see this radical new role that I don't know if any of us really have the full grasp of what it's aimed for. So next week, I'm going to teach you guys what the scriptures say for the role, the aim, and actually describe what, if the Lord is desiring to birth that in you, what that sees, or what it seems like, feels like, looks like, sounds like, and um, hopefully we'll hook up a whole bunch of people's phones. So I love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight.